Hey there, and welcome to Greenflower Nation, a show to explore and understand the impact cannabis is having on our society today. I'm your host, Max Simon, the CEO of Greenflower, who's the leader in cannabis education, and I'm a cannabis patient myself. And on today's episode, we're talking about one of the hottest topics in the world of cannabis today, investing. Now, a few years ago, you'd never see mainstream media programs like Mad Money or CNBC talking about the opportunities and challenges in the cannabis industry. But simply turn on your TV today and you'll likely see headlines about this on a daily basis. And that's because investors of all different shapes and sizes and backgrounds are getting really interested in this brand new sector of investing in cannabis. So on today's episode, we'll speak with three different types of investors who focus exclusively on cannabis. We'll speak with a fund manager who's raised a ton of money to deploy into the cannabis space, a personal investor who's using his own money to ride the cannabis wave, and a public markets expert who's been studying the health and wellness side of cannabis deeply. If you like investing personally or professionally, and you really wanna better understand the intersection of cannabis, you're gonna love this episode, so let's dive in. Now, when we talk about investing in cannabis, that could mean lots of different things. For example, you could try to find early stage companies who are raising their first rounds of capital and invest in them privately. As an example, here at Green Flower, we have roughly 40 people who fit this persona, meaning people that found us when we were raising money and they put small amounts in at early stages. You could also find companies who are right about to go public and are raising money before their IPO. That way, once they go public, hopefully you can enjoy some short timeline to a liquidation event. Or you could play the public markets and buy cannabis stocks in different sectors that exist all around the world. So to find out more about how to properly look at, analyze, and then put money to work within these different sectors of cannabis, we spoke with a group that's very close to home for Greenflower, Tuatara Capital. You see, Tuatara led our $20 million Series A round that we completed in 2019. So I'm pretty biased because I love these guys. That said, I do believe that Al Foreman, one of the principals at Tuatara, is one of the sharpest, smartest, well-educated and integrity-driven cannabis investors in the space. They have literally vetted thousands of companies and they've invested hundreds of millions of dollars into cannabis companies of all shapes and sizes. So Al, can you tell us how did you even get started investing in cannabis? We started back in 2014. I was looking for an opportunity to put capital to work in the emerging legal cannabis industry. You know, we'd received a couple decks and marketing plans and kind of felt a little frustration around the ability or the inability, I should say, to successfully kind of diligence, normalize, and, and really evaluate these companies. You mean in 2014, the business plans for cannabis weren't blowing your mind? <laughs> it was, uh, it was a little, little different landscape at that point in time. And it was, it was really the recognition that while the industry opportunity was clear on the horizon, the pathway to kind of successfully getting capital to work was not. And so it was really the personal frustration that we had trying to get our personal capital to work that led us to the creation of Tuatara. And I think that's a good segue. So can you tell people what Tuatara does and what you guys are about? 
Perfect. So Tuatar Capital is a cannabis-focused private investment firm. We launched our firm back in 2014. We currently manage 331 million of assets that are exclusively focused on legal cannabis. And those assets are deployed through two private equity funds. Our second fund, Tuatar Capital Fund 2, is a $375 million vehicle that's currently in market and also deploying capital in 2019. Can you tell people what your thesis is around investing in cannabis? When we came into the space back in 2014, we really spent time up front to try and understand what legal cannabis really was, what it represented. So we spent the better part of 2014 really analyzing the industry, starting with top-down analysis, the seed itself or genetics, and carrying that analysis all the way through consumer consumption or what happens at the register. We also explored all the ancillary product and service businesses that have been created to meet or address gaps in the supply chain. And from there, we really kind of sketched out what we felt were the the nine subsectors within the legal supply chain that were really ripe for investment in the near and intermediate term. From those subsectors, what we really kind of observed was four distinct end markets that would come out of legal cannabis. And the end markets that we saw were social consumption, which is almost a direct porting over of the illicit market. So one that has been thriving in North America for the last hundred years. If you Mm -hmm. supply retail channels and proper tested products and more variety, then customers would convert. And I think with Illinois crossing the transom as the 12th state and Canada, Uruguay, and soon to be Luxembourg putting programs on at the federal level that, you know, social consumption has fully emerged. We also observed that the cannabis plant, because of its medical efficacy and and kind of strong chemistry around the cannabinoids, would also help to support a cannabinoid health and wellness and a cannabinoid pharma end market. We think both of those end markets have really started to take shape back in 2018 with the passage of Epidiolex on the pharma side and the passage of the Farm Bill on the health and wellness and nutraceutical side. And then the final end market is industrial hemp as a fiber. So the myriad of of uses for the raw material of hemp in building products and nutraceutical and the the food manufacturing and markets is another kind of pathway and channel that we identified that we've been investing toward. So we look at those end markets and we kind of work backwards to try and identify which of the companies that are successfully operating today have the right management teams, right business models, and really the wherewithal to scale into category leaders into one of those end markets. I think one of the big challenges in cannabis is that there's so much hype and so much noise that people really have a hard time figuring out what's real and what's not and what's the future and what's just a bunch of fluff. And so how do you guys properly understand the legitimacy of these business opportunities? I think our at our core foundation, we tried to both identify and draw parallels to adjacent industries that both operate in a similar capacity and also have um, companies who we believe would either benefit from or have interest in the cannabis supply chain. We look at neighboring industries to validate some of the kind of the opportunity set that's being presented by cannabis companies. Give me an example. I mean, when you start thinking about companies that are purporting to be premium brands, 
Well, if you're going to be a premium brand in cannabis, then the expectation would be that you had the brand equity, the brand positioning, the infrastructure, and the margin profile to support being a premium brand, same as you would if you were a luxury apparel manufacturer or a premium spirits manufacturer. So there are commonalities, I think, that can be drawn around margin profile, operating metrics, and the like that will quickly help you validate whether the business plan, future modeling, and the strategic strategic direction of the companies that you're evaluating, whether they line up with reality. I mean, I think ultimately there are parallels that can be observed and drawn. And if you're not benchmarking those parallels and using them as a guidepost for how you evaluate investments, then you're not capturing the full part of the story. And have you guys predominantly invested in private companies and not necessarily touched the public markets? Yeah, we have, uh, we are private equity focused. And so our mantra is really to support growing private enterprises, helping them, helping management teams and founders such as yourself, kind of uh, set and execute on strategic direction over the course of our partnership together to figure out the right pathway for both exit and, you know, monetization of equity value across or over a uh, agreed upon horizon. So that's really the, the strategy that we employ. And I think the portfolio companies and that we've had the pleasure of working with both appreciate the style of partnership, the vision that we try to place on kind of the future pathway and the detail that we put into the strategic plan to make sure that we have a playbook to successfully execute on to kind of get to that goal. Not to toot your own horn here for a sec, but I'll tell you, after meeting with hundreds and hundreds of investors in the cannabis space, I feel eternally grateful that you're our partners because I've experienced all of these things from you in terms of the way you approach partnering with companies. You know, I imagine people listening to this are going to be investors and are going to be people looking to put their resources and their attention into the cannabis space. So now having been a successful operator in the space that's partnered with so many different companies, what are some of your kind of ultimate words of wisdom for investors to make sure that they approach this correctly? So I will say, first and foremost, to the best of your ability, take the time to really understand the market, both the history, the players, and really kind of the machinations that went into the industry getting to this place. I think that's important because you're stepping into a realm of evaluating not just companies, but people, and to not have an understanding of what some of the early operators, what some of the license holders kind of went through to get to this place might make it difficult to position yourself or your firm as successful partners. So I think the understanding of where we came from is going to be a kind of a big aid into helping successfully identify who the right entrepreneurs and platforms are to back going forward. I would also say that it's important in an authentic manner to actually kind of care for and, and be a cheerleader for the success of the industry. And I would say that, you know, above and beyond even the companies that we are directly supporting with capital and advice in our two fund portfolios, we spend a lot of time just even in the process with companies that we're not investing with to try and provide appropriate nuggets of wisdom and tidbits to set people in the right direction. Because at our core, um, Tuatara wants legal cannabis to win and to succeed. And so that goes beyond just the portfolio assets that we hold, but really, I think successful investors that have a, an eye for or desire for the overall success of the industry, that's really where you're going you're gonna to be able to make your mark. Amazing. Thanks so much, Al. 
Now, as much as it would be nice if we all had hundreds of millions of dollars to invest in the cannabis industry, you're probably like most people, you don't have that. And you just want to put in some of your own personal money to work in this space. So then you have to decide, do you search for private companies and invest all that time to vet them out? Do you put money to work in the public markets or maybe some mix of both? To find out more about what it's like using your own money to invest in cannabis, we spoke with Brent Williams, who's been devoted to putting money into cannabis since 2014. So Brent, when did you start investing in the cannabis sector? I got interested in it in 2014. I had heard some friends talking about it when I was living in Chicago because it was a new big buzz word up there. I heard the conversation happen and, and asked more questions as to how do you get into it. And what are some of the investments you've made since then? Sure. So back then we were in more privately placed industries. We were in some rolling paper companies back then. We were in a technology game that was trying to make, you know, cannabis growing a game like Farmville, but for weed. Um, we, that was the kind of early stage investments. And then as the better investments have unfolded over the past couple of years, we've started buying stock in Cresco Labs and MedMen and, and some of the bigger names that my family and I think will do well. And how would you say your portfolio has performed since starting this whole journey? So we've been in it long enough to have the ability to see some growth. When we got into Kronos back in 2016 in October, September, it was $3 a share and it's trading well above that now. So being in it for as long as we've been in it, we've, you know, we've had the ability to see that kind of growth over the couple of years. This past couple of months, specifically for this year, has been rough because uh, we did deepen some positions within the family portfolio. Yeah, it's been a, a rocky year for the public sector in 2019. It has been. And we were talking about this last night. What we're seeing is a lot of the cyclical actions take place, if you will. Because if you look at the summer over now the last three years, most all of the stocks have dipped during the summer over the past three years. And how have you gone about picking what you're going to invest in, both in the early stages and also how you've matured? So we've been lucky enough to do a lot of traveling. And when we go to these markets where it's legalized, we have the ability to see what's selling well, what's branded well, and really what we think would be good. When we go into a MedMen dispensary, do we like it better than one of the mom and pop dispensaries? When we go into, you know, one of Green Thumb Industries Rise locations, is, is that a little bit better than some of the other locations? So really, if we connect with the brand and we believe in it and we want to purchase it, we think other people feel the same way. So that's a very gut feel, right? I mean, ultimately, that's you saying, I'm a consumer. I'm a somebody that's engaging with this new cannabis landscape. I feel like this is good, so I'm just going to support this company. That's pretty much all you can go off of at this point. We can dive really deep into the alignments as to what company's working with what company and who's going to be acquiring who. Uh, but really, if it's the better brands that are succeeding, it's the companies that are providing a better experience. Because, I mean, you look at the financials of MedMen, they're one of the biggest ones everybody knows. The financials have been rocky, borderline awful over the last couple of years. But it's such a good experience that there's too much value in that brand to ignore. I'm curious also, you know, how some of your early private investments have turned out. You know, I, I know some of those companies you're referencing and I, I yeah, I'm curious how, how some of your earlier bets of being, you know, first in have, have, have panned out for you. One of the better ones we got into was going to be Great American Rolling Paper Company. And then another one of the worst ones we got into was a tech company that went out of business after the SEC investigated some of the people involved. Uh, as that happens with 
early parts of the industry. Uh, so some of them, none of them have gone to the moon. I, I, you know, we didn't get in, until Ray, we didn't get in anything like that before they went public, but a couple of them have, have done pretty well. We're waiting for them to provide a bit more value to other companies within the industry. But like many others, some of them have also gone to zero. And what surprised you at this point? Because, you know, there's always a lot of buzz and hype about cannabis. And then there's the reality that it's very difficult, but the difficulties of it certainly shouldn't persuade people from jumping and getting involved. And I think passion also really takes a hold of it. So at this point in your investment career, has anything surprised you in cannabis? So what surprised me over the past couple of months to year has been the quality of talent that's come in from other industries. There's been people coming in from Pepsi, from other beverage companies, from other like major political companies. You know, you get Boehner coming in, you get some major names that have come into the industry that, that add a good bit of reputation and a good get a bit of quality to the people within the industry. That That is something that surprised us. We didn't really expect that to happen until you know, maybe two, three years down the line or it was more legalized. So it was less risky for people to come on board. So that surprised us in a good way because I think it helps expedite the legalization process as more people get on board and more money gets spent. One of the things that I find so funny about the cannabis space right now is that it's actually still federally illegal <laughs> and, and that creates some interesting barriers and confusion. But when things go legal, do you believe that you're going to see a huge boom in your early investments, even though they've been up and down up until now? Yes, that was our goal was to get as much money as we could allocate with this kind of risk active in the market before that happens. Now, we still have our portfolio with our traditional wealth management. We're not willing to risk everything on the cannabis side. But with what we have, we wanted to get as much money in the companies that we believed in because we do heavily believe there is going to be a, a big spike in the prices, a big spike in valuations and acquisitions that are out there once it goes federally legal. Has your focus shifted really predominantly to the public spaces now in terms of where your new capital is going and you've, you've kind of stopped looking at and evaluating private deals? Private deals inherently have a lot more risk. So unless there is some sort of X factor that makes the company stand out from other companies, you know, having top 5% of market share, having relationships with a tier one bank, having a proven history of success, we tend to stay more towards the public companies just for the transparency. You, you, if you show interest in the private markets, you have such an influx of people asking for money that it's difficult to sort through all of the good deals versus the bad. So the famous question that I always love to ask is, what do you know now about investing in cannabis that you wish you knew before? The quality of the team matters so much more than the product that's being offered. Any final words of wisdom to investors listening to this segment who might be contemplating the moves to make for their own investment portfolio in cannabis? It's a very volatile and risky industry. Stay with the brands that you think are going to be there in the next several years. So as you're starting to understand, you could either invest your resources privately in companies but need to spend the time vetting, or you could go down the public path. And the truth is, more and more investors definitely seem to be gravitating towards the public markets because there's more transparency, and it's also a little easier to truly understand who's leading the pack. Now, cannabis stocks have had a very rocky year in 2019 thus far, but there's also still tremendous optimism about the future, which is why you're seeing larger and larger institutions and players jump in to participate. 
To learn more about what it's like to work on the public cannabis side, we spoke with a man who's truly been leading the pack, Todd Harrison. Todd's the founding partner and chief investment officer of CB1 Capital. And to say that Todd is someone I trust when it comes to understanding the cannabis landscape, well, that would be an understatement. Can you tell us a little bit more about CB1, when you guys got started, and really what you do at your core? Sure. So CB1 Capital Management, we invest in our cannabinoid wellness thesis across the world. We invest in uh, the U.S. primarily, but also in Australia, biotech, which we think is going to emerge as a subsector of the space. Uh, some Canada, although we've largely avoided Canada uh, since the spring, but it's a global strategy across several verticals, which we can get into a little bit more. Uh, and we also do some advisory work at CB1, helping some companies find their way through the space. And it's all public markets, correct? No, not, not entirely. No, we have some public companies in our portfolio, uh, but we keep those to about a year or so of duration until liquidity. But we've had some good success there. Can you share a little bit more deeply how you think about designing your portfolio? Sure. So, you know, clearly we're at the front end of what we think is a secular bull market that's going to phase across multiple phases of the sector. So cultivation obviously was uh, all the rage for for some time, and those were really reflected in some of the Canadian moves in these stocks. Uh, we think that has transitioned now to the CPG story, whether that is CBD-based products or form factors for the, for the cannabis side of the equation. We think obviously that the margins are in the back end as more flour comes online globally. We're going to see price depreciation there, but paradoxically, that's going to help margins for anybody that's using cannabis as an ingredient. Uh, so as we look at the world, we look at the cannabis plant as really a, a treasure trove of API. We look at the cannabinoids, THC, CBD, but also the minor cannabinoids as they come online and anticipate that really migrating to the next phase of this secular bull market, which will, uh, we think, will be driven by synthetics and biosynthetics in some ways, you know, complementing the, the organic side of the equation. But ultimately, you know, what we're playing for and where we cut our teeth is on the efficacy-driven solutions or the emerging medical solutions, which we think extend across a number of indications. It could really disrupt Western medicine in terms of, of how it's currently perceived and administered. It's interesting because I've known you for a while and it really sounds to me like the portfolio thesis and who you've been holding, what you're doing has really continuously evolved since the beginning. Is that true? Do you feel like it's a real fast changing animal? Well, I think, of course, you know, any frontier market, you have to be agile. And, you know, as we see this evolving, certainly, you know, and one of the reasons we are primarily publicly traded securities, we have a component of our book in privates. But the reason that we're doing that, you know, obviously, you're going to get much more valuation bump from private to public. But you have to be in the right stocks and you have to be obviously have the right timing. You know, we look at the public domain and certainly one that is undercovered by Wall Street analysts. There's a lot of mispriced merchandise, particularly in the U.S. where there's no real research coverage. And we look at the regulatory arbitrages on the horizon, whether that's banking reform or broader decriminalization that are going to allow for capital flows, lower cost of capital, and the evolution from denial to migration to panic or FOMO as the wellness benefits are better understood. You talked that you're not really that involved in the Canadian markets, which I think has actually seen the largest PR attention from a public space. And a lot of people just feel like, God, those values are so overinflated. And so when you look at the valuation of the cannabis sector right now, where do you land in terms of kind of a meta view of it? 
Well, we think that Canada is rich, and certainly because particularly the names that are listed on U.S. exchanges have gotten a disproportionate amount of attention and a disproportionate rise in valuation and multiples. And certainly we think that there are some speed bumps along that thesis and why we're, we've largely avoided the sector, uh, whereas we can look at the U.S. space and actually you know, lean against these valuations. I mean, we're buying, by, if our numbers are right, we're buying growth in value prices. Uh, you know, a couple times, you know, 2020 revenue, you know, in some cases cheaper. Analysts haven't found these stocks yet. And, you know, we always point to Village Farms as an example of if we're doing our job correctly, that's the type of inefficiencies we can uncover. We've been talking about the stock and we've been trading the stock since it was a dollar uh, in the summer of, of 2017. It's now trading at, you know, $13 uh, on the NASDAQ. And it's probably still the most misunderstood stock, you know, in the universe with both Mexico and U.S. optionality and, and only for analysts cover it. So, you know, that's that's an example of, you know, what we hope to achieve with our strategy and identifying this mispriced merchandise and laying in wait for an efficient market. It's been a lot of volatility this year. How does that make you feel when you look at the sector as an investor? You know, it's it's not easy. That's for sure. I've been trading 30 years through many different situations in the market. And, and this is in a league of its own in terms of volatility. And in terms of the news flow, whether that's can trust type of black eyes or whether it's write downs in some of these Canadian operators or even U.S. operators, as the case may be. And also, you know, there's a lot of bad actors in the space, a huge credibility chasm. So we understand why investors are wary. I think last year, uh, 2018, you had nine different 20% pullbacks and two 55% drawdowns in one calendar year. I mean, that's that. those are big moves. And we're right back as we're talking now. In mid-August, we're right near those December lows again for global cannabis. So very volatile. Uh, but we look at this and say, okay, you know, this is probably the best thing that could possibly happen and that we get these prices down to levels that we can reinitiate some exposure and average down another exposure with the lens. You know, we, we talked about three to five years horizon last year, let's call it two to four. I would even tighten that to the next 12 to 18 months uh, in terms of some of these regulatory arbitrages coming through the pipe, capital flows opening up, and awareness of the valuation opportunities in the U.S. really starting to manifest across the landscape, particularly as the broader market starts to wrestle with growth. So I think that being a good investor is about looking into the future and being confident with that direction. And so when you look into the future of cannabis as an investor, where do you feel most confident? Well, I think, you know, we're leaning against the science. We like to say follow the science in-house here. And we've been studying the science for my partner, Warren, for a decade, and I'm not too far behind him. And certainly that has to evolve through the clinical pathways. There's over 150 preclinical and clinical trials currently in motion. Uh, We think that efficacious agility is going to play through and not just for things like pain and nausea and appetite and anxiety, but Epilepsy already is an FDA-approved medicine for select childhood conditions. We think it extends to things like autism, Alzheimer's, traumatic brain injury, brain cancer. All of these trials are coming through. We think as they start to demonstrate efficacy, and I'm not talking about masking symptoms, I'm talking about solving for the underlying conditions. And and certainly this is a bit uh, foreign to Western medicine, but therein lies the opportunity. You know, somebody once explained to me when I started in this business 30 years ago that trading and investing in its most simplest form is trying to capture the disconnect between perception and reality. And, you know, in my 30 years on Wall Street, I've never seen a wider chasm than I do currently with cannabis and how it's perceived and, and what it actually is and, and where it's going in terms of being ubiquitous as an ingredient across society. I'm sure friends of you ask this all the time, but just for fun, what's a good cannabis stock to buy? 
you know, listen, different strokes for different folks, and it's a function of time horizon and risk profile. We still think GW Pharmaceuticals is in a league of its own in terms of cannabinoid wellness and position to really capture the clinical pathway as that moves forward. But certainly, we look at some of these U.S. multi-state operators, all the hair that's perceived to be on them, and we look at the numbers, and we look at the valuation, and we just think, if you could sync your time horizon, your risk profile, and you can look out a couple of years, these are going to be the names that are going to vie for the fangification of U.S. cannabis, and, and there's going to be a fair amount of, of FOMO chasing them as psychology shifts to support the sector. Thanks so much, Todd. So what did we learn today? Well, I feel like we learned that investing in cannabis is a rush, <laughs> both because it can offer big returns, but also because it has big crashes. So if you're going to put money to work in this space, you got to have a strong stomach to ride that wave. We also learned that it's really important to really understand and analyze the different cannabis sectors to find where you most want to play. The cannabis landscape is big and wide and ever-changing, and I believe that it's important to really dig deep and come up with your own thesis to understand who you want to bet on and who you don't. And I think most importantly, we learn that you have to take a longer-term perspective to finding success investing in cannabis. Lots of people see fast dollar signs, but it's just not that easy or simple, and instead, I believe you want to find the companies that you can really invest in for the long haul because those are likely the big winners anyway and this crazy ever-changing landscape is really still in the early stages. So now I'd love to turn this episode to you, our Greenflower Nation listeners, to better understand the impact cannabis is having on your life and the people around you. Head on over to green-flower.com forward slash nation to share your story and get some additional valuable tools to help you on your cannabis journey. And if you like this episode, please rate it, share it, and subscribe so you don't miss a single new one coming out. And seriously, rating goes a very long way, so thanks for giving us five stars. And make sure to tune in next week for our finale of season one, where we continue to explore the impact cannabis is having on different parts of our society today. 